This week, we talk about the Oscars, which, by the way, we absolutely loved for so many reasons, and the performance of our lives, in our case, with my mother. Stay tuned. Like a sparrow building shelter with branches for its young, my mother built a nest with love for her little ones. My grandfather told her, doesn't matter what you have, the only thing you each other's helping hands never the emptiness my mother always says spread your wings and fly you can always come back to rest never the emptiness my mother always says wherever you may go to grow this will always be your home hello and welcome to another episode of never the empty nest I say it like this in this kind of shock and awe because we were just on break and um, we all took a little vacation in the middle of season four, which I can't believe it. I can't believe we're in season four, but we are. And um, we're here today, the three of us, the daughters and mother (laughs) of the nest, all of us. And we're back for the second half of season four. And we have a bunch of good stuff ahead. Today, we're calling this podcast... And the Oscar goes to dot, dot, dot. The reason why is because yesterday was the Oscars and it was kind of, in my opinion, the best Oscars I've seen in a very, very, very long time. My sister and mom are nodding. We'll talk about that in a second. But also because we're going to have to, at the end of this podcast, when we leave today, become actors in our own experience because we're going to have to act out a particular thing for my grandma who's going through a crisis. So we're going to talk about that too on this podcast. Um, how are your days, ladies? I know they're they're varied, but um, let's start with Nikki. Who's here in Miami? Yay! I... I'm glad to be here. Of course, I miss the kids because it's just me since I came for just a few days. But it's great to see you guys and be all together. It's been a minute and I'm good. I always feel a little weird when I'm by myself here. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I enjoyed the Oscars. I enjoyed the beautiful, we went to a beautiful literary event for Vanessa and it was an amazing experience honoring her book, What the Bread Says and Papan. And it was very emotional and yeah, I'm just enjoying being here, um, but I miss my babies, so I'm excited to go back in a couple of days. So I don't know. That's where I'm at. I was just going to ask you a question, which is how has it been sleeping with your parents? Fine. My sister thinks it's very <laughs> weird, that, but we've all done it. Like um, We're all at Vanna's house, so the nest is crowded, and there's only a certain amount of beds, but it's a big bed, so it doesn't matter. I don't, feel, I don't even feel squished, but... She's like, you're going to sleep with your parents? And I'm like, yeah, I, I do it all the time, even with Lily when she when she comes with me. So, yeah, it's not weird. It's fine. So to explain to everyone what's going on is that everybody is at my house because my mom's apartment is under construction and has been under construction for way too long, meaning for her, not for me. I don't care how long she stays here, but like she's been displaced since like September of last year. And this is a knocking down of a wall that we thought was going to last like a month. And uh, it turns into a whole apartment remodeling, which I'll let her talk about. So that is happening. So they they have a, a takeover of our bedroom. And then we're sleeping in other places. And Ignacio has been sleeping on an air mattress. And then when my sister came to visit, there was really no other place to place her except between my parents. <laughs> 
Oh, thank God it's a king. I love sleeping with the kids, but I don't know. I, I, I like Nene snores like a maniac, so I don't think I can handle it. That is the one challenge because, like, Jonathan snores, and even like, but we haven't, like, we all, I sleep with one kid, he sleeps with the other kid. So I actually haven't slept in the same bed with him all night in a long time. Uh, the snoring drives me nuts because he snores a lot too. So I forgot about the snoring situation. But it hasn't been too crazy lately. Yeah, it's weird. It's usually worse, actually. So I'm pleasantly surprised because that's the only thing I was dreading. I was like, oh, I cannot sleep when people are snoring loud. I, I, I go nuts. But it hasn't been a problem. Mom. Hello. A lot of things are going on. I am most of all super happy because everybody is under the same roof and in the same time zone and the same zip code. So when all that stuff comes together, it's happiness for me. Obviously, we always have challenges. Sleeping with her is not the challenge. Uh, Abu, Nene, however you want to call him, is snoring less because I discovered that when he snores, I, t I tell him, I tap him and I say, hey, you're snoring. And he says, really? I said, yeah, like a train. So can you turn over on the side? And then he stops snoring. So now he doesn't snore. I mean, he starts snoring and then I catch it and tilt him over, sort of push him actually. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's it. That's the remedy. And so we sleep well the three of us. I don't know what she's talking about because she spent most of her time sleeping with me. When you came back from college, we used to sleep in the same bed. So my morning consisted of tennis this morning, which I'm really happy about because I had missed a week and I was like already doing this thing where I realized this, I really love it. I do this thing in like when I close my eyes or when I'm sleeping where I like visualize the the like strokes and I like I'm like changing them and kind of trying to perfect them and it's like this weird thing that happens in my brain that's super fun so I, I was doing that all last night and then today I was better and I was like did I did I do something like I don't know there's something to like I, I think I'm obsessed is basically what I'm saying I was very impressed that you went that early in the morning <laughs> to play tennis because I was like just comatose this morning. I, I am too old to be drinking as much wine as I drank yesterday to watch the Oscars. And I was just like, Ugh. this morning, I'm like, you came, you went and came back from tennis already. And I was like getting out of bed. <laughs> oh my God, it was crazy. So kudos to you. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Oscars and our big Oscar party, our big Oscar party that included our family and Vicky Goyalo, which is the, the director that I work with, extended family, essentially. Again, I thought it was the best Oscars ever. I know you guys were nodding. Why did you think it was the best Oscars? Also, it was so much fun. I thought we had a blast talking about the outfits and my mom was like, shut up. You need to shut up. Be quiet. Be quiet. She got so mad yesterday at us. I am usually that person, but I don't know why yesterday I was very talkative, but I think I was just very excited because it was a great, the red carpet was okay. Like I felt like it was a little, I don't want to say boring, but it was, um, but there were some beautiful dresses and it was super fun and we were talking a lot. I usually am the person that is like, shut up I'm trying to listen but that's more during the show I want to hear the speeches and this and that but mom was so annoyed at us <laughs> like threatening to leave the room <laughs> several times but it was beautiful I think because there was like no drama you know last year was intense we all know 
there were a couple of jokes. I I feel like I totally get that the jokes were done and I don't think that they were like went too far, but it's like I think there was like one too many, like, we get it, we get it, you know. But it was fine. Yeah, the Will Smith jokes. I really like Jimmy Kimmel as a host. I think he was very professional. He was still funny, but he didn't go too far in insulting someone, you know, or and he said it before the show. Like, I really don't like I'm a comedian, so, you know, you're going to poke fun at people. That's the thing. But I really try not to hurt people's feelings. I, I don't like to go that far, you know. I think he did a – it was a great balance. And they, there seemed to be a lot of respect in the room and a lot of history making, which was great to see. And there was a, were, there were a lot of movies. I was upset that Elvis didn't win anything. I wanted at least one award for Elvis because I thought it was really good. That was disappointing. But in general, the vibe was very familial and respectful and – and just celebrating each other's talents, I think. I also thought that the Banshees of Inisherin was like just really good, super, super. This year there was like wild movies, like really deep wild movies and um, strange, but just like also really deep. You know, I felt like Everything Everywhere All at Once was really. I want to talk about it a little bit because it really is a mother-daughter story. Like that is a mother-daughter story. An Asian-American, second-generation, mother-daughter story. There's It's just like really, really, I thought, and also the Daniels who made it, they went up and they were like, thank you, thank you, all this stuff. But you know, like they were talking about the collective experience, about how really things are made in a collective and that this nonsense of like, you know, these one or two people that make a thing is not like, yes, this is their brains, you know, which is amazing, but it takes all these people and this ensemble of actors, which were from Jamie Lee Curtis to, you know, like all of them, they were so good. So anyway, uh, there was Asian American movie making history yesterday and it was great. It felt like a really, really beautiful Oscars overall. Like you said, great spirit. I just want to sort of transition these best actor moments into what's about to happen in our family. Mom, maybe you want to talk about what is happening with Maman and like the drama and trauma literally that she has been going through and that has created a dark cloud over us because I really think that we all feel a cloud over our head and a knot in our stomachs about what has been happening, but I'm going to let you describe it. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, my mom, as if you follow the podcast, you know that we lost my dad almost two years ago. And that was um, heartbreak for all of us. He was like the heartbeat of this family. Uh, my mom, in a different way, was also heartbroken. And literally a month after he passed, uh, she was in the hospital. We thought we were going to lose her, uh, thankfully between, uh, I mean, the stars aligned, the doctors that we have, everything made her well. And so she got better, but then she, this threw her over the edge with dementia. So she has dementia. It's progressed. I don't know if it's a strange type of dementia or it's just that we forgot what it was like with Papang, but she's here. She knows who we all are. She knows where she lives. She knows her name and her birth date, but you know, she's sort of like lost in time. And one day in January, very early in January, she woke up and says, Hey, did you see mom? Her mom passed away uh, a little over 60 years ago. Uh, she left Cuba. My mother left Cuba when she was 29 years old with an 11 month old and a four year old. Uh, I'm the four year old. My sister was 11 month old. We got on a ship that was literally falling apart across the Atlantic. 
uh, was the last time that that ship sailed. I remember that at mid-voyage, uh, it almost sank. One of the boilers or two boilers stopped working, um, etc. So she was 29 years old. She loved her mother. They were extremely close. And her mom died uh, two or three years later. She never saw her again. But she said she was going to Maman. Our grandmother said she was gonna, they were going to bring her over as soon as she could. And in that process, the mom died. And you can say how she died, but she died in Cuba. Correct. So, you know, she, uh, communist Cuba, you know, she had pneumonia. It was probably 1963 or so, or, or four. We left in 1961 or 62. So she, uh, all communications, I mean, the Castro regime closed all communication via telephone, via writing, nothing. If she spoke to her mother twice during that time, it was a lot. And the next time that she had any news about her mother is that her mother had passed away. And just to say how that happened was that someone showed up at um, Avis Rent-A-Car where my grandfather worked with the information, uh, we think in a letter. It was a letter that said that the her mother had, had died. Um, and my grandfather receives that information at Avis Rent-A-Car and then goes home with it, not knowing what to do. And so he decides that the best thing to do because they were in process of bringing her because they hadn't heard from her because there was, you know, all this gap of time. And it would be shocking for my grandmother to receive a news from one day to the other that her mother is dead. He said, well, I'm just going to like say that she's sick, that I got news that she was sick and little, little by little tell her that she's passed. So like to lead her to the death instead of shock her with the death, which, you know, right or wrong, whatever, that's what, that's what he did. That's what happened. And my grandmother had a massive meltdown, like massive psychotic breakdown. Like she had a breakdown. Like she talks about what it was like to like be in her mind at that time, which was like, if my mother's underground, that means that she's drowning and she's choking and she's and like, she would visualize those things. And then she would like hide behind the trees in my mom and my mom's school. Cause she thought people were going to take them. And like, it was this whole thing. There were like a bunch of moments that she has told me about that time. And then they tried to like sedate her and give her some kind of a sedative to sleep. And the doctor, when he gave it to my grandfather to give to her, was like, because at the time, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of issues with all of the way that, you know, medicine treats women, but, and and did at the time. But anyway, at the moment, he gives them the medication, tells my grandfather, listen, if she falls asleep for three days, literally don't, meaning like if she's asleep in bed for three days, don't worry about it. This is meant to sort of like, take her off of this break that she's having, give her mind some rest. And like, and my grandmother stayed wide awake the entire time. And the doctor was like, oh my God, like it wouldn't like, imagine like, oh, I don't know, a horse sedative and it was doing nothing to her. And she was like, she told me that she was like, I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to stay awake. So like she was basically telling herself to do that thing. All of which is a form, all of this is a form of madness that was happening at the time. And a stamp of deep trauma. We say this story because right now my grandmother thinks that her mother is here in the United States, that she finally got her papers and that she's here and that she has been in my house and that we are somehow keeping her mother from her. So at the beginning, because she made up the story, we were like, my mom said, 
oh, well, she can't come now because you're not supposed to go off of the story that they've created when there's dementia because you could break the person a little bit more, at least from the psychiatrist's orders was don't go off the story. So it started that way. And then we were like, okay, well, we'll just, my mom was like, we're just going to say that we can't go over there. She can't go over there. The mom can't because everybody has a cold and we don't want this fragile old lady to get a cold. And that lasted for a good time and it was okay for a while until she got better. And she was like, why aren't you bringing my mother? And then you can talk about a little bit of what the break is now. Like, why aren't you bringing my mother? Why aren't you bringing her? You're a horrible person. I'm a horrible person because I apparently have her like hostage here in my house. And then why aren't we doing this? And But she, she like screams at us. She like loses her voice and can't breathe. Like my mother, my mother. It's really, really horrible. Like it is dark and horrible that she's in that world and we can't take her out of it. Yes. Having said that, that's the short story. Uh, going back to when she lost her mother, my mother was never hospitalized. She was taken to a psychiatrist. I remember somehow my sister and I were protected by ever experiencing her meltdown and her breakdown and all of that. And then actually my father sort of nursed her back to life. She always said it. She said, the understanding that your father gave me, I would have never survived it. And so I have that example in my head, right? Yeah, my grandfather was very, very gentle with her at the time. And then I think my mom is trying to say that she has that example in her head for now, for how to deal with her right now. Because clearly it is the repetition of the stamp of trauma that is happening again, but now in dementia and worse because there's no real answer and there seems to be no way out of it. And we can't say that she died because she'll break even more and we can't tell her that she's wrong and we can't. So it's been very hard to figure out how to like there was one point where we thought, you know, since I have a theater company let's find an old lady or let's find a person and let's dress her up and let's do the makeup and the stage makeup and whatever. And like, will that be worse or better? And like, you know, like the problem with that is that it's probably the wrong idea because you know, she'll want to cling to her. And I think you'll recognize your mother. You know what I mean? Like no matter what. And especially with her, because she is lost in her brain, but she's still here. So she's not, she won't fall for that. It's different when like Papang would accept the information towards the end of his life that you would give him and he'd be like, okay, like where's Pedro? Oh, he went to Spain. He'll be back or he went to the supermarket. Okay. But my mind doesn't accept that information and it is an awful situation because it's a lose-lose situation. There's no fixing this, I feel like. It's very frustrating. It's just like, what's the best way to handle it? And then you want to listen to the expert, but at the same time, you know, you know, your family best, right? So how do you make that decision wisely? I think we're stuck there of like, do we listen to this? Do we listen to our instincts? What do we do? So then yesterday it got so bad that my mom at some point was like, what do I do? Do I just tell her? Do I just tell her? Because it gets so bad. It gets so bad because she's literally in this pain of why aren't you bringing me my mother? Like, why, why, why? It's so, so real. And she's like, how can it be that I suffered through all of exile? This is worse than exile because she's right there. She's just blocks away and I won't bring her to me and I can't get there. And I just like, I'm like short of breath just thinking about it because it's really horrible. 
And so yesterday at some point, there's a new person that goes on the weekends to help. And she had an idea to tell her while we weren't there. She said, what if they were, they wanted to surprise you with your mother and they weren't able to get her out of Cuba? What if the reason they can't bring her is because they really, really tried and they couldn't bring her out and they're just having a hard time telling you that? And she seemed to have, from what we understand, sort of been like, hmm, maybe that's possible. Which, if it is, it's a way out of the story, not of the pain, but of the immediate deep pain of anxiety, but in the sense of my mom and I are going to go over there. I think, Nikki, you're going to. We're all going right after this podcast over there, and we're basically going to tell her, listen, Maman, we tried our best to get her out of Cuba, but it didn't work, and we were having a hard time telling you that. And that's why we haven't brought her here because she's not here. Meaning it's still a continuation of the same story. Obviously her mother would be what, 130 years old. <laughs> it's obviously a continuation Which of, says, yeah. yeah, that's the part. She's like, Oh, that's true. My grandmother does say like, Oh, she must be ancient now. She must be like 130. And it's like, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> yep. Which is, you know, you have to laugh at these moments, but at the same time you're like, Dude, there's still going to be pain, but it's. I think the desperation is going to diminish because it's like in her brain, she's right here. And why aren't you bringing her? And also it'll repair the family dynamic because right now she doesn't trust anyone. She hates everyone. I mean, that's also a personality thing, like part of why this is so hard. And I'm like, lesson learned this, Vanessa. Part of this is why this is so hard for her because she trusts no one. I mean, you have to as a human being and trust people. You know, well, the trust issue is a lifelong problem that now obviously is uh, worse than ever. For those of you listening, you must think, well, why don't they give her drugs, you know, calm her down, knock her out, you know, to uh, get her out of her pain. Obviously, we've tried under psychiatric care at home to treat her with different medications. And, and what that led to was an even worse situation. And uh, we had to go into what it's called a medication holiday, uh, and I had to wean her off in the month of December of all these psychotic medications. And if any of you have gone through that with anybody else, uh, rehab, withdrawal, it's pretty bad, although I have to say that it could have been worse. So we have to do this again now. We're probably going to start on Wednesday and then for five days. And then on the sixth day, we're going to give her a different medication because medication with her, as Vane explained, most of the time does the reverse. This is something the psychiatrist is very careful about. And she told me that it could happen and that it does happen. And so it's like walking a tightrope. One of the options that right now we had to make a decision, um, I had to make a decision, but obviously I always make a collective decision, a try, was uh, because it's gone so bad, she's sort of taking us to the edge uh, and cornered us uh, with this story. And I'm hoping that this other story works. Uh, we obviously can tell stories and invent things. And most of the time with our previous experience with my dad, it worked. I mean, we story after story, mm -hmm. uh, we went through 10 years of storytelling and it worked like a charm. Uh, with my mom, it has not. 
And so we're hoping that this story may work, but I am prepared for the weaning off process uh, so that she can get a different uh, antipsychotic medication to see uh, because they do help. Before the one that she takes now, she was seeing people in the garage. And they lived there with tents and TVs and children. And once she started taking, and I tried everything, taking her at all kinds of time. We walked the garage. My eyes could not see them, but hers could. And it was the medication that the psychiatrist sent her that really worked. But now this is a different thing. This is obviously the condition getting worse, the dementia getting worse. And I understand that. So the psychiatrist told me, uh, you know, hospitalization is next uh, in the geriatric psychiatric ward. And when she mentioned those words, I said, oh, my God, Nurse Ratched, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And then my wild imagination <laughs> kicked in. And obviously, I know that it probably would not go that way. Uh, it would be, you know, the UM geriatric psychiatric ward under her care. Uh, that gives me the creeps. And so I'm going to try it at home and see, uh, because it was, it is an option, you know, like we've always said, you go back to your bank of experiences and memories and examples. And, uh, my father did it last time. Obviously she wasn't demanded. She was a young woman. And so we're going to, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to, um, hold her hand, see what happens. We'll tell you next week. Or the week after that? The psychiatrist basically said you can put her in the hospital so you don't have to go through the weaning process for five days or she can do it at home with you. And you already know what that's like because it had already, you know, like my mom said, it already happened once. No sleep, no nothing. It's just um, caretaking that person. And nothing. We'll just, I think the fear was that if she gets so dark and miserable you know, at home, imagine in the hospital. I think we had like, we have like a fear that she'll go there and die. If, you know, like get so dark in the deep hole of it and not see us there, like at least seeing people that you know, there's hope at the end of the, you know, at the end of the tunnel. Whereas if you're like in this place with people that you don't know and they're also weaning you off drugs that you don't even know is happening, like that I think is what my mom was saying. It just feels like a lot. So now my mom is going to take the brunt of being there and weaning her off. So like she said, we will tell you how it goes next week. Sorry if this episode was a bit of a Debbie Downer. We started off with a very like, hey, the Oscars were so great. And now we're going to be like giving mom an Oscar. <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's see. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully will do so well that it will be so believable and it'll lessen her pain as good performances do. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, again, there is the logical option of telling her your mother died. I tried that at the beginning of her dementia, not in this episode, but one, and she lost it. And so I told the psychiatrist and she said, you must never, ever, she was adamant, never go against her story. I mean, whatever she says, yes, okay, I understand because that creates... Uh, another problem uh, bigger. The truth is that according to our experience with my dad, and when I say experience, this is not a professional experience. And don't take any of this as any kind of psychiatric recommendations. <laughs> this is what our family is doing with what we have. 
and what we think is best day by day, actually minute by minute. So this is what we're going to do now. Um, as I said, according to our previous examples or in uh, our heart and in our instinct, this is, I mean, I can't, I cannot at this moment in time, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how she's going to react. I'm praying that she never gets too violent or too aggressive that we cannot handle. You know, she can get pretty verbally aggressive now. And, you know, sort of, we can take that, but we'll see. It's hopeful. I'm hopeful today that our story will work. I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm more hopeful than yesterday. Like there's an option. So we'll leave you with that, with a little bit of hope and the rest of the story next week. Stay tuned. See you next time on Never the Empty Nest. I just wanted to say that (laughs) they always laugh because I always have something else to say. Um, They're so eloquent. It takes me a little bit of time to process. But parents are quite a treasure. Right now, I wish I had her like I had her two years ago. Uh, she's a pill, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't think that my mother is, oh, la, la, la. No, no, no. She's a pill. She's always been a pill and <laughs> continues to be a pill. But she's my mom, and I love her. And she did walk through fire for us. Which brings us back to everything, everywhere, all at once. Because I really actually think that that is the center of that movie. It's like they're all a little bit of a pill. But, uh, you know. You're like, thank God I have it. You know, taxes with you forever is the, you know, is the thing at the end of that. But like, yeah. Okay. Mom ended. You know, I go back in my history, right? Remember we were, we're refugees. So we're very limited to our experiences with our extended families. But I remember mi tía Marina, my aunt Marina, she always said, son los nuestros. And so that is the center of our um, MO. They are ours. Okay, so they're part of this. And so um, we'll see. See you next time. Bye, 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 bye. With all of your success, she says, all the great things ahead. I'll be here when it's time to see you again. And if you fall, she says, if someone breaks your heart, I'll mend your wounds. Till you're ready to die